1: Hello, fantasy friends. I'm Scott Cullen, host of Locked On Fantasy Baseball on the Locked On Podcast Network. Today, I continue my special series with Locked On Baseball Prospects host Aram Layton. We break down nearly 50 of the top rookies and prospects in baseball and what fantasy owners can expect from them long term. Aram's fantastic, so I highly recommend checking out these episodes. These podcasts are also running longer than usual because Aram had so much great insight. For my money, totally worth it. But first... Today, we'll deal with Wednesday's star performers, some injury updates, matchups, and DFS tips for Thursday before we kick off part two of my interview with Aram Layton. So let's start today with a look at stars from Wednesday. And on a night when there were some uh, huge crooked numbers, we're going to start with a pitcher. Uh, Cincinnati starting pitcher Trevor Bauer went seven and two-thirds. He gave up just three hits, no walks, no runs, struck out 10 in a 3-0 win at the Cubs. Uh, Bauer has a 1.74 ERA, 0.74 whip, 12.4 strikeouts per nine this year. He's a Cy Young contender, which, uh, given how he finished last year in Cincinnati, is a a rather pleasant turn of events uh, for the Reds. Unfortunately, the team isn't uh, living up to those uh, results. But uh, Trevor Bauer uh, continues to be awesome for Cincinnati. Uh, Then let's go to the crooked numbers. Uh, The Atlanta Braves laid a 29-9 whooping on the uh, Miami Marlins. So I've limited myself to three Braves, uh, starting with uh, left fielder Adam Duvall, who's three for four, scored five runs, drove in nine, hit three home runs, and walked twice in that win against the Marlins. Uh, Duvall uh, has been a rather productive, uh, if unheralded, bat in in that Braves outfield. Uh, And then part of the reason he's unheralded is because the uh, Braves center fielder Ronald Acuna Jr is you know, one of the top players in the game, and he had a nice night, too. Went three for four, scored four runs, drove in five, had a home run and three walks uh, in that win against the Marlins. Acuna Jr. did miss some time with injuries, but his OPS this season is up to 1081, uh, verifying, I guess, that he is as good as we expected him to be. Uh, also from the Braves, first baseman Freddie Freeman was three for six, scored two runs, drove in six, and had a home run in that win. Uh, Freeman's OPS... Is up to 10:48 on the season, so uh, obviously a, a great night to pad your stats if you're uh, in the Atlanta Braves, uh, and a rough night uh, for uh, the pitching uh, in the Miami Marlins. Now, that wasn't the only uh, wildly lopsided game. In fact, they were only uh, one run uh, difference uh, compared to the Milwaukee Brewers, who dropped a 19 nothing win on the Detroit Tigers. So I've got I've got three Brewers uh, to. Uh, honor here, and starting with shortstop Luis Urias, uh, who was three for six, scored two runs, drove in five uh, in that win. We we don't typically expect that, but the the strange part about uh, Milwaukee's uh, win is that a lot of their production came at the bottom of the order, whereas the Braves were getting uh, a lot of uh, production right from the top of the order. Uh, It's coming at the bottom of Milwaukee's order in their route uh, against Detroit. Uh, So also, Milwaukee right fielder Tyrone Taylor was four for five, scored three runs, had three RBIs and a home run in that win at Detroit. Taylor has a grand total of 18 career at-bats uh, in the major league. So this, this is uh, early success for him, uh, but who knows uh, where it goes uh, beyond that. Uh, and then uh, Milwaukee starting pitcher Corbin Burns went seven innings, gave up just one hit and struck out 11 uh, in that win. Now, obviously, he had, he had lots of runs to work with, uh, but he didn't need them uh, because he just mowed down the Tigers. Uh, at every turn, and Burns has an ERA of 1.99, a whip of 0.90 this season, Uh, far better than you could ever uh, ask for, uh, and uh, sort of showed uh, all of what he is capable of doing against that Detroit lineup. Uh, A few more hitters uh, from from other games that aren't quite as lopsided, and and they don't have quite as spectacular numbers, but uh, White Sox catcher James McCann was 2-for-3, uh, and drove in four runs with two home runs and an 8-1 win at Pittsburgh. Uh, McCann, who's, you know, pit, played in Detroit and, and didn't really come into the season with uh, huge expectations, does have a 972 OPS. So, you know, at a catching position where offense uh, comes at a premium, uh, James McCann is, you know, suddenly valuable. Uh, the New York Yankee shortstop, Gleiber Torres, two for four with a run scored and four RBIs, uh, in a win, uh, 7-2 win against Toronto. That is just, Torres is just his second home run this season. Uh, his OPS is now 696. And from a player who hit 38 home runs last year and uh, was supposed to be sort of the uh, centerpiece uh, of the future of the Yankees offense, uh, I guess that might explain why you're looking at a team that's sitting at 500 right now. Uh, um, Baltimore left fielder, Ryan Mountcastle. Um, we touted him yesterday as a DFS pick, and he went four for four. Uh, with a run scored in an RBI and a 7-6 loss of the Mets. Uh, Mountcastle uh, has had early success in his career since getting called up, uh, and I think you can probably uh, keep looking at him in, in things like DFS or adding him on waivers uh, in fantasy because uh, that bat looks like it's going to play. Uh, one last one, we'll go with uh, San Francisco Giants center fielder Mike Yastrzemski. It was 2-for-5, two, 2 runs scored, 3 RBIs, and a home run in a 10-1 win against Seattle. Uh, Yastrzemski... Who you know was, seems to be a late bloomer, uh, but he really seems to have uh, legitimized, I guess, uh, his results. You know, last year he had some power uh, and you know looked like an, an okay major leaguer. This year he's he's added uh, a better eye at the plate and has become a more complete hitter and uh, now has a 978 OPS. Uh, he's he's legit and so um, pretty fantastic uh, turn of events there for San Francisco that. Uh, Yastremski, who was kind of an afterthought uh, a couple of years ago, is now uh, really a, a centerpiece of their offense. Uh, now we've got a couple of injury updates. Uh, Arizona's second baseman, Kettle Marte, uh, goes on the 10-day injured list with a wrist injury. Uh, Josh Rojas uh, should get some regular reps uh, in the infield with Marte out. Uh, Texas left fielder, Shinsu Chu, and DH, I guess, uh, is on the 10-day injured list with a sprained hand. Uh, infielder, Eli White played left field on Wednesday. Uh, the Rangers have been, you know, rotating guys to a bunch of different positions. Nick Solak will probably get some time in left field too. Um, but you know, e- everybody will get a turn, uh, it seems now Washington first baseman, Howie Kendrick is on the 10 day injured list with a strained hamstring. Uh, again, not a, uh, not a huge, uh, fantasy impact there, but, uh, considering they, they don't have Ryan Zimmerman this season, uh, and now losing Kendrick. Uh, Marcus Thames becomes, uh, I guess, the most important uh, first baseman on, on a Nationals team that doesn't seem to be going anywhere very fast. Uh, now, a few matchups that I do like for Thursday. Underdogs, of course. Uh, and now San Francisco with Trevor Cahill on the mound, plus 150 at San Diego and Chris Paddock. Now, Padres are obviously going really well, but and, and the Giants aren't necessarily a good team, but they're competitive. And. In five starts, Cahill is a 2.65 ERA, 1.18 whip, and 10.6 strikeouts per nine. As an underdog at at plus 150, that's worth a look. Uh, Then I also have Miami uh, bouncing back. Uh, They're only minus 105, but they are slight underdogs against Philadelphia and Jake Arrieta. Marlins obviously got crushed yesterday uh, in a game in which I picked them, uh, but it's still just one loss. Uh, And uh, they have Sandy Alcantara on the mound. He's only made three starts, but he does have a 3.78 ERA, 1.14 whip. Uh, and, he, and he's going against Jake Arrieta uh, for the Phillies, and Arrieta's been hittable this year. He has a 5.67 ERA, 1.47 whip. Uh, this isn't prime Jake Arrieta. Uh, so uh, look for a, a bounce back from the Marlins after yesterday's debacle. Uh, now a few DFS tips uh, for Thursday. And uh, start with Tampa Bay starting pitcher Josh Fleming, who's just $5,900 on DraftKings, going against Boston and Michael Kickham. Uh, Fleming has made three starts for the Rays, has a 3.52 ERA, 1.04 whip. Uh, and now he's not a big strikeout guy. He's like six and a half strikeouts per nine. Uh, but he's going against a, a Red Sox team that is you know, pretty much a, a train wreck. And, and so getting Fleming at, at a discount price uh, against, against Boston seems like a worthwhile look. Uh, Miami first baseman Garrett Cooper, $3,100 on DraftKings against Philadelphia and the aforementioned Jake Arrieta. Uh, picked Cooper yesterday. He went two for four, scored two runs, had it with a double and a walk. Uh, he has an 881 OPS. And so take him against the struggling Arietta at this bargain price. Uh, and I mentioned him before uh, with the Kettle Marte news. Uh, Arizona, and he's eligible at outfield and shortstop, Josh Rojas, $2,900 against uh, the Dodgers and Dustin May. Rojas has a 565 OPS in his first 50 Major League games. So he hasn't shown it in the big leagues yet. Hence the price. That's why you can get him at $2,900. But Rojas had a ten twenty three OPS with 23 home runs and 33 stolen bases in the minors last season. So there is some offense in there somewhere. At that price, uh, he could really pay off for you. Uh, Finally, go with Tampa Bay outfielder Randy Arozarena, who's $3,200 against Boston and Michael Kickham. Now Arozarena has a 1,500 OPS in the majors this season. He has four home runs and 24 plate appearances. He's also better against left-handed pitching, so... Uh, Heads up, Michael Kickham, and uh, certainly at that price, take a look at Randy Arena. So coming up next, uh, part two of my interview with prospects expert Aram Layton. He's the host of Locked On Baseball Prospects, and we did a deep dive breakdown on nearly 50 rookies and prospects, looking at what they might offer your dynasty teams long-term. Rock Auto is an online parts source, where you can get just about anything for any type of vehicle. I'm pretty much incompetent when it comes to doing things with my car, so I leave it to my mechanic. But... My father-in-law, he's a do-it-yourself wizard. He's rebuilt a bunch of cars, including a vintage Jaguar and at least one BMW. This is the site for him. Great prices on an incredible variety of parts. Having access to such a vast parts repository has its advantages. Need an ignition starter switch for a Lexus SUV? I did a while back, and let me tell you, I was not thrilled the day that it died in the middle of the car wash. But, with the click of a mouse, a handful of options are ready on Rock Auto. about brake pads for a 2001 Bentley Continental? They've got those too. I mean, you'll find what you need because they have an amazing selection for just about any kind of vehicle at reliably low prices. They have all the parts your car will ever need. Visit rockauto.com and tell them Locked On sent you. And now, the second of my three-part interview with Locked On Baseball Prospects host, Aram Layton. Aram and I talked for a couple of hours on the top rookies and prospects in baseball. and He brought so much great stuff, I had to break it up over multiple podcasts. So here we go, part two of my interview with Aram Layton. Let's move on to the New York Yankees and Davey Garcia. He's 21, just five foot nine, uh, but they've called him up to make a couple of starts, and he's been pretty effective. Um, is, is he a long-term uh, starter for the Yankees? Davey Garcia is a really intriguing guy for me,
0: and I, I was very impressed from what I, what I saw from him in his first career start, where he goes six innings strong against the Mets, and then he he really has looked good so far. He's five mm-hmm. foot nine, and there was some concerns about whether he could stay in the rotation in the long term. He did go to Triple A and, and struggle keeping the ball in the yard, and that was mm-hmm. something that definitely was a little bit concerning because look, he has maybe one of the best curveballs in all of the minor leagues when he was in the minor leagues, and now he has maybe a, a, a almost a double plus breaking ball for a major leaguer as is right now. The fastball is good because I talk about deception a lot. That's something that mm-hmm. I, I really look for in guys that lean on the fastball is how do you make that fastball better? He is deceptive and hides the ball really, really well. And that bodes well for him when he's able to get swings and misses on it because it has this riding action, which means it, it tails up. and almost looks like it's rising. And when you have that pitch working off of a curveball that's really hard to pick up because of how much he's able to make that arm hide and hide the baseball, Mm -hmm. then he mixes in a changeup that he's got a pretty good feel for. I think that David Garcia has all the makings to be a legit starter. It's just, can he keep the ball in the yard? Because as he got to AAA, that was something that jumped up really high for him, and and that was – Look, he falls behind. He's got some command concerns, Mm -hmm. and that was where he he struggled. He fell behind, and then when they're sitting on that fastball, as good as the fastball is, it was less effective when you knew it was coming as any pitch is as a pitcher. So Mm -hmm. I I like Garcia. He's worth having because he's going to rack up a ridiculous amount of strikeouts. He would have been second in all of the minor leagues in strikeouts per nine if he had qualified and he was just a hair away from qualifying. So the strikeouts are always going to be there. Even in his bad starts, he will compensate by striking guys out, but he's also going to walk guys and he's also going to have some blow up starts you have to stomach, but his stuff is so good that the real concern for him is, can he throw strikes and can he be elongated and really be able to go deep into games? He only went six plus innings, four out of 21 starts. Hmm. So that's something to look at and that's something to really see if it translates to the major leagues. But because yeah. baseball's so weird, in his first major league start, he goes six innings. So yeah, yeah. It, it really is tough, but let's watch him. Let's see if he can continue to go deeper into starts because if he, if he starts turning out four-inning starts, three-inning starts, where he, he pitches all right, but he works up a crazy pitch count, then you could see the Yankees maybe get frustrated and put him in the bullpen.
1: He's got yeah. a good
0: enough curveball and a good enough fastball that he would be a really good back-of-the-bullpen arm. And that's, mm-hmm. you know, raises his floor. But if you want him to be a starter, as you talk about, relievers don't have much value unless they're closers. He's got a good shot to be, but we, we got to see him throw more strikes because that's really been the question for him throughout his minor league career. And can he keep the ball in the yard, which is going to be pretty hard in the Yankee Stadium, I'll be honest. <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah. Um, that's all good points. Uh, Oakland. Uh, starting pitcher Jesus Lazardo was I think one of the top pitching prospects coming into this season like in terms of what you could expect in the major leagues um, I don't know that he's necessarily uh, met those expectations but I, I also look at a 22 year old left-hander and think there's there's still lots of lots of room for improvement
0: yeah Lazardo, look he's another guy that I think suffered from some prospect fatigue being that mm-hmm. people were so high on him for so long that he almost had this unrealistic expectation or this high expectation that he always had to meet. He's battled some arm issues and, and that's definitely a concern. And I think mean, that's contributed a little contributed a little bit to, to his struggles. But overall, he is one of my favorite prospects and it had been for a while. and I guess now he's no longer a prospect, but <laughs> he was always one of my favorite because of the just sheer stuff that he has. Yeah. Uh, a fastball that isn't sits in the upper 90s with movement, a nasty breaking ball a good slider, and a good changeup. And he throws all of those pitches pretty evenly about a quarter of the time. Maybe that's part of the problem for him. Maybe he needs to find a pitch that he can go to that he knows is his best out pitch and go to that more frequently. Because right now it seems like he's still feeling it out. The fact mm-hmm. that he throws four different pitches, an even amount, look, that that can be a good thing in some, in some ways. But most of the time, when you look at some of the better pitchers in baseball, they have one or two pitches that they really, really count on and that they throw a lot, and then they have a third or maybe a fourth just to keep it in the back of your head and keep you honest. Right now, Lizardo seems like he's got four pitches, and he doesn't know which one's his best, and he's still figuring it out. But the thing is, is all four of those pitches, excuse me, have the potential to be plus pitches. So I think because of that, if he takes the time to hone in on one of them, and with the fastball that he already possesses, it's can he stay healthy, but he throws strikes, He's going to start racking up more strikeouts as he feels that out. And he's a guy that you got to have. And I think we'll continue to get better as he is sustainably healthy and figures out his arsenal. But Lizardo, he would have been a first round pick out of high school had he not gotten hurt. Still was a third round pick as a heavy Mm overslot. This guy's always been able to pitch at every level. And I think that he will figure it out at the major league level. Of course, that's the hardest test.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. And, and, okay. Let's move on to Seattle where I've got a bunch of guys to, to ask you about. And we'll start with somebody you mentioned before, uh, Kyle Lewis, who he had six home runs and 75 plate appearances last year. And so there, there were some expectations I think coming into this season, but I don't think anybody necessarily expected, uh, what we've seen so far, uh, where he's hitting over 300, he's got nine home runs, uh, he's walking more. Um, uh, and, and you, you had talked about Lewis had, had changed his approach. Um, are are we to take this uh, massive improvement this year and think that this is, you know, who he is long term?
0: Yes. So i i just <laughs> cool i just one. recorded yes. right. <laughs> i just recorded an episode. And it's titled "How Kyle Lewis Has Become a Star." So yeah. <laughs> if anybody wants to listen to an even longer explanation on Kyle Lewis, <laughs> uh, go check that one out because yeah. I'm I would use up the whole episode time on just Kyle Lewis because of how much I, I love this kid watching him play and and watching the changes that he made getting super Mm -hmm. nerdy baseball like nitty gritty right now before he he was a little bit more open in his stance and there was a lot of swing and miss because he could not keep his weight back he was often on his front foot he was cheating out towards the ball which is a sign of somebody being overmatched right and and he really was was struggling with balancing his weight and being able to, to stay back on balls. So he goes into a more upright stance and puts his hands in a more relaxed spot. And now what you see in his load, he sinks back into that back leg, which keeps him back more. Whereas before mm-hmm. he was drifting forward and that's a huge difference. Cause when you drift forward, the bat's going to drag and you're going to lose a lot of power and, and, yeah. and it reflects in his batted ball spray chart. You know, in Mm -hmm. 2018, his pull percentage was pretty high because he's drifting through forward into the zone and yanking everything. He was pulling the ball 46% of the time in 2018, 42% of the time in 2019 in the minor leagues. Then this year in the majors, he's pulling the ball 30% of the time. His spray chart right now, 30% pull, 40% center field, 30% oppo. Is You couldn't craft it any better than that. That's exactly what you want to see. He's got power to all fields now. and This more comfortable, more vertical stance where he's able to sink into that back leg and feel more coiled, where he's able to have more power, it's made all the difference for him in the world. Because instead of drifting forward and yanking it on the ground or drifting forward and you're missing under it and slicing it the other way, he's got authority to all fields. And as a result, his strikeout rate is the lowest it's been in a long time, only 24%, -hmm. which if he can sustain that is fine. Look, it's, it's a little bit below average, but with what he's able to do, that's fine. And with the changes that he's made, I'm actually going to make a YouTube video so that people can <laughs> see on on video the difference that he had made from the old stance to the new stance and how sinking into that back leg like Christian Yelich does works for yeah. some guys that have trouble staying back on the ball. And for yeah. him, it's been all the difference. Kyle Lewis is going to be here to stay for a while. He he was a guy that that should have been a star right away in the minor leagues. He blew up his knee his first season. Then he's trying to come back and feel things out. He came from a mid-major school, so there was a big learning curve in terms of the talent level, in terms of what he's facing. This guy's legit, and, and he's going to be good for a while.
1: Awesome. Uh, Mariner's first baseman, Evan White, who made the jump from double-A and uh, probably found that it was a tough jump from double-A uh, this year. I think he's 179 uh 613 ops he has he has 5 home runs and 20 RBIs uh but is this a case uh, again we've talked about this with other prospects is that they probably would have liked to see white uh hit for half a season in the minor leagues before considering him uh in an ideal world and but that didn't happen so so they just plugged him into the major league lineup and uh he struggled
0: yeah definitely you know with, with yeah. only 92 games in double a and then you know, he played a little bit in the Arizona Fall League. But overall, just not enough of a track record for him in the minor leagues to really say, okay, this guy can be legit. And, and another yeah. guy that's low-key, very very quietly propelled by his glove in terms of his prospect mm-hmm. value because he is a gold glove caliber first baseman, that's no doubt. But first base yeah. is a premium offensive position. And at the end of the day, you really got to be able to hit. Evan White can hit the baseball. You know, don't get yeah. me wrong. You know, this guy hit 24 home runs his junior season in, at Kentucky and SEC pitching. Then he he put up some pretty good numbers in the minor leagues. I will say, you know, when when a college guy goes to the, to the minor leagues and has a good season in low A, I don't really care. When they start hitting <laughs> yeah. in high A, you got my attention. When you hit in double A, then you really got my attention. And he did that. He yeah. did that. So I, I think that this is a guy that – could legitimately be a major league contributor. Right now, he's just shown that he isn't ready. 51 strikeouts and 130 plate appearances is not ideal. And strikeouts have never been a massive issue for him. Look, he's never been a guy that's not going to strike out a a decent amount, but he usually keeps it under the 25% mark. So for him to be above that is uncharacteristic. He's a little bit overmatched. You mentioned the five home runs. The power's there. The glove is going to keep him Valuable, at least because Mm -hmm. he doesn't have to hit a ridiculous amount to be a starter. It's going to keep him in the lineup, even if he's able to hit just decently. But right now, there's other options. I think, especially at first base, we're talking about such a good offensive position that we're we're going to have to wait and see on Evan White. And and the toughest part too is next year you you might have a guy that's a major leaguer right now, but next year the Mariners might start Evan White in the minor leagues. We, We don't even know. So yeah. that that's a guy that right now I think you you might want to look at other options depending on you know whether you want you you have the spot to stash him or not just because of all of those reasons I still think Evan White could be a legit major leaguer and you know with the glove and with the ability to hit he, he's got the 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 track record in college not quite the track record in the minors but still has shown flashes of it I think he'll figure it out it's just right now. For the next year or so, you might not get the
1: value. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, a couple of Mariners pitchers, uh, Justice Sheffield, who's been, you know, getting better in the last handful of starts, and Justin Dunn. I, I, I look at their numbers sort of right now as sort of on the fringe of fantasy, but they're young young guys who, you know, maybe if they're on fringe fantasy now, uh, a year from now, maybe they're they're really something useful. Justice Sheffield is is on my radar
0: all of a sudden you know I yeah I was talking about him the other day and I was saying you know what happened to this guy he was supposed to be a stud he he was mm-hmm. a centerpiece of of some big trades and I'm just thinking you know what's what's going on with this guy but he started to phase out that fastball the four-seamer and throw a sinker more and so instead of being more of a strikeout guy he's pitching to contact and it's worked for him you know we talked about Randy Dobnack He's not quite Randy Dobnack because he's going to be able to get some swing and misses too at about yeah. an average rate is Sheffield. The fastball is low 90s, you know, it's, it's in the sliders, low 80s, and he's got a changeup. So when he was able to go to more of a sinker now where it's a low 90s sinker from a left-handed pitcher that works really well against right-handers to get them to ground out, and then he also has that slider against left-handed pit, or left-handed hitters, excuse me. It works mm-hmm. well, and the changeup is good. Honestly. He just needs to be more effective against lefties, which is weird. Yeah. But th- that's just the reality of it because the way his stuff works against righties, he's able to get them to roll over quite often. With lefties, he's only really got that slider. And then the changeup has not – it's it's really tough. you got to locate it really well to be good against left-handers. And the sinker too, if you miss your spot against a left-hander, it's going to go right back into the wheelhouse down and in for a lot of left-handers. So that, that's something that he's been working out and figuring out how he pitches left-handers as opposed to right-handers. But I think he's been able to really figure that out a lot more. And he's been, as you mentioned, a lot better over the last few starts. Definitely keep an eye on Justice Sheffield. He's never going to be a guy that's going to blow you away with what he's able to do. But I do think that he is a legit back-end type of potential guy that you could count on to give you a ERA in the high threes, low fours, and eat innings. Mm-hmm. And the strikeout numbers will be good enough.
1: Yeah. Um. All right, let's keep this train rolling into Tampa Bay. Uh, they've called up Randy Arozarena, and he has four home runs and 20 plate appearances. Uh, I assume that that will slow down. Um, but his i mean—his numbers in the minors last year, uh, double and triple A, he hit 344 with an OPS over 1,000. Um, how legit is his bat? I really like
0: Randy Arozarena because I'll tell you this. When the Rays go out and get somebody, they instantly, and it shouldn't impact me, but they instantly go on my radar (laughs) (laughs) because, okay, what did the Rays see in the sky? Um, And so then I started diving into a Rosarena more because I was really confused when the Rays decided to trade Matthew Libertor for Mm -hmm. Jose Martinez. And look, they just traded Jose Martinez for for pennies on the dollar. So that, I mean, one, I think Martinez didn't pan out the way they hoped he would, but also two, I think a Rosarena was a big part of the Rays being willing to give up Matthew Libertor because a yeah. Rosarena put up some crazy numbers in the minors. Look, I don't think he's going to hit 471 with four home runs, yeah, but yeah. he's off to a good start because of his just ability to hit the baseball. He's a guy that, you know, the glove isn't quite there as much, which doesn't really mm-hmm. matter. And the bat really plays right now. And I-, I love what I've seen from him. He might be the guy that, That the Rays really wanted in that deal. And he seems like the piece for them that's going to be there for a while. And for 5'11, 185 to produce the power that he does, he's produced the power at every level. And he also can move a little bit. He's going to steal you bags. Rosa Reyna is a very, very, very valuable guy that's outside of the top 100. Like one of the few guys that you could actually strike gold with that's not maybe as highly regarded as some of the others. Because he could really put up numbers in terms of fantasy perspective too, mm-hmm. a lot better than most of the guys on the top 100 list. If everything works out for him,
1: yeah, and and yeah, like you say, that that power coming out of that frame, like he's he's just he's not a big guy, so so seeing that is is a bit of a surprise. Uh, let's take this to to Texas uh, for center fielder Leody Tavares, uh, who's been one of the top prospects for the Rangers for a while, um, and now he's he's getting. Lots of opportunity to play. Uh, it, how, how soon uh, do you think uh, before he becomes a, a valuable fantasy contributor?
0: Yeah, you know, it's tough with Tavares because he's only 21 years old. I talk about prospect mm-hmm. fatigue. I feel like he's been a top prospect for like 10 years now. Yeah, so yeah. I, 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 it's crazy. So I, I want to make sure that you know I don't let prospect fatigue blur my vision on him because he does have a lot of good tools and he has really improved every time we see him so far. But look, the, the numbers took a little bit of a dip when he went to double a and he put up some really good numbers in, in, in high a, but when they take a little bit of a dip, he's never going to really hit for power. Yeah. He can swipe you some bags and that's probably where you're going to get some value. He stole 32 bags in 131 games last year. I just don't know if, if he's ready for the major leagues. He had a 21 years old, after regressing from high A to double A, where you know we had a 745 OPS in high A, then in double A, the OPS was 695 in the same sample size. Yeah. Uh, that doesn't concern me. You know, I, I think he'll be good long-term. But to look at that and then say, okay, let's call him up to the majors, yeah. I, I just don't know. I, I understand that the Rangers aren't playing for much and they want him to get his feet wet. That's fine. I just don't think that you're going to get any value out of him in the near future. Maybe yeah. best-case scenario, end of, end of next year. It's just because I, I, if we're looking at him right now, you know, he wouldn't have started the year in the majors if we had a minor league season. I don't even know if he'd be up right now if we had a minor league season because if yeah. he continued those numbers that we saw in Double A, he would need to. He'd, he'd be staying there. So yeah. that's one of the guys that got called up because of the circumstances. Look, he's 21 years old. He's got value as a dynasty guy, but still, I mean, when you regress in double a to show that the competition is, is a little bit tougher, which is normal. It's normal, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. You, you can't move him up to the majors after that. I think it's going to no. be a little bit before we get the value out of him.
1: Yeah. Like it, it might be a few years before we really get uh, a payoff, which, which for fantasy owners, sometimes it can be really tough to, to wait on that. I mean, just as, I mean, just as uh, I guess the same as it is for the fans of the team, it's tough for them to wait on that. But um, yeah, I, I mean, this is, I don't know how many guys we've talked about so far who who we think, probably got rushed into the major leagues based on the circumstances of this season. and You know what? And I'm going to continue this in Toronto where <laughs> with starting pitcher Nate Pearson, who I don't think necessarily was rushed. I mean, because there was a, a real clamoring uh, for the people of Toronto to have Pearson uh, start the season with the Blue Jays. You know, the, the fact he throws 100 miles an hour is exciting to people. Uh, but, I mean, even before landing on the injured list, he he wasn't exactly... Uh, dominating and and so certainly health is a a huge issue for Pearson but uh, let's presume that uh, his arm won't fall off and uh, what can Blue Jays fans expect from him long term
0: yeah you know definitely you mentioned the health is a concern the the velo is is off the charts but he his problem is that he doesn't quite get the swings and misses at the rate you would expect for the stuff that he has look he gets a decent amount of swings and misses, like 119 strikeouts and 101 innings in 2019 across three different levels is solid. But we're talking mm-hmm. about a guy that throws up to 103 and yeah. that has supposedly multiple plus pitches. And the, the reason why, which is really a, a weird thing, but I've talked to some players that have faced him, and they said, you know, he's tough, don't get me wrong. he's He's one hell of a pitcher. But sometimes we feel like we can get the bat on the ball because everything he throws is hard. So mm-hmm. I know that no matter what's coming, it's going to be hard. If it's a fastball, it's, it's upper 90s. But if it's a slider, it's still in the low to mid 90s. And I feel like I can get a piece of it. Like there's not that push and pull of separation yep. between a hard fastball and then a changeup where you're like swinging like an idiot because you're like, holy crap, I didn't even know it was coming. They feel like if they choke up and battle that everything is hard and they can get a piece of it. That is something that is an easy fix, right? He just needs to get some more separation between his pitches, and I yep. think that's something that he will continue to do as he refines a changeup and maybe uh, adds you know a better curveball to go with that slider. I was a little bit discouraged in his command mm-hmm. because that was never a major glaring issue for him, and maybe no. he was trying to be too perfect in the major leagues, realizing hey, you know, 103 still doesn't do it against these guys yeah. like if you throw one of three over it. the plate yeah they can put that 440 feet to dead center like th- yeah. that that might have been a little bit jarring for him because i, I saw after he had one start against the marlin so that was one of the starts that i watched in entirety that mm-hmm. he was his worst start of the season it was a blow up where he looked okay and then as the umpire started to squeeze him a little bit as the marlin squared up a couple baseballs all of a sudden the wheel started to fall off where I think he wasn't used to that kind of adversity and he wasn't used to his fastball being able to, or not being able to bail him out. So I think this is yeah. just going to force him besides the health. It's going to force him to be a more well-rounded pitcher. And I think that he has the makings to do that. He, I always say, you know, there's a the difference between a pitcher and a thrower. He's not yeah. a thrower. He, he, he is a pitcher and he, he does have a, a polished side to him. I think he just needs to find that and, and focus on that more. And, and he will do that, assuming that he can stay healthy and assuming that you know he'll come back at some point in the near future he he will learn and he'll adjust and he, his sheer stuff and what he's capable of is just so ridiculous that you got to hold on to that guy and he he's going to be good it's just will he meet these crazy expectations i don't know
1: yeah that that's the thing right is when that radar gun shows 103 the expectations just go off the charts and and, and so, yeah, I think it's going to be, it'll be an interesting path. Uh, but obviously the, the Blue Jays hope he becomes an ace for them. Uh, let's move it over to the National League as we continue uh, catching up on all these prospects. And Arizona Diamondbacks, Dalton Varshow was a catcher uh, on his way up, uh, but now seems to be playing center field, uh, which I, I presume is just a matter of they want to get that bat in the lineup. Uh, on a more regular basis than you do with it, with a catcher. Now he's also struggled uh, since coming up. You know, fifty four plate appearances, uh, but is this just a case of the Diamondbacks are going to let him get his reps for the rest of the season and uh, and see if he uh, can work himself into being an everyday player?
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I, I really like Dalton show. Look, mm-hmm. fifty four at bats or fifty four plate appearances. It's such a small sample size, but you know you still you, you want to see him hit the ground running a little bit. Right now, a little bit of bad luck with a low BABIP. It's, it's right in the one ninety range. And he hasn't been. He hasn't been hitting. Don't, don't get me wrong, but yeah. he is a great athlete and such a rarity. Right? He, he can catch. He can play center yeah. field. How many guys can do that? Like that's absurd. Don like, no Romito <laughs> is, is the only like comparable type of athlete, and he can't play center field. So uh, this is a guy that is incredibly unique. In a good way too, and strikeouts have never been an issue for him. Sure. In this small sample size of 54 at bats, he's striking out a third of the time. I don't really care. I, I, it doesn't really affect me personally. And on my take on him, he's always walked a good amount, always in the 9% range in terms of walks and really not that much experience in the minor leagues. We're talking about a guy that's hardly played 200 and not even 250 games in the minor leagues. So he's still feeling it out. There's a reason why they called him up. It's because he's got a very advanced approach. He doesn't strike out a lot generally, and he walks a lot. He has power to all fields when he's able to really get going and really broke out in double-A. Varsho, if you can buy low on him because of his slow start, I would do it because this slow start for me is not really concerning. And also, the fact that you can plug this guy into multiple spots in your lineup, I don't know what ESPN's going to decide to do or whatever yeah. fantasy site you use it on whether they're going to consider him a catcher or not, he's still going to be able to play multiple positions. And I think they're going to move him around everywhere. He's just such a good athlete. He's going to figure it out. He's going to figure it yeah. out because he's got such a quick, short, repeatable swing. He's never really had any holes in the minor leagues where there was a, something that glared to me where I'm like, okay, this might get exposed. I think it's just really the learning curve and that's natural. And he'll be fine. I, I wouldn't be surprised if he finishes out the season with pretty respectable numbers as is. But if he doesn't, yeah. I would definitely buy low because coming back next year in a full season, he's going to be good. I'm not concerned about Varsha.
1: Yeah, that's, a, that's a, a good buy low candidate. But boy, if, if he has catcher eligibility, I think that, uh, that makes him much more valuable because catcher is, is such a wasteland for fantasy most of the time. Uh, Atlanta Braves pitcher, Ian Anderson, uh, straight out of Jethro Tull. Uh, has has made three starts and been quite effective. He was a third overall pick in 2016. Uh, is, is he basically here for good now with the Braves?
0: Yes, yeah. Ian Anderson's yeah. not going anywhere uh, anytime soon. And look, he had his he had his first rough start uh, yesterday, actually against the Marlins, where he finally got roughed up a little bit. I mean, his, his first career start, he goes against the Yankees, takes a no hitter into the sixth inning. And yeah. So, I mean, look, it wasn't the Yankees typical easy. lineup, but he made it look easy. It wasn't yeah. the Yankees typical lineup. I will say that, but it doesn't really yeah. matter. Like it's still a major league lineup. And the guy that broke it up was Luke Voigt on a really good pitch on down and away. And Luke Voigt, just doing Luke Voigt things, hit it out of the yard the other way. Anderson was expected to be more of a power pitcher coming up as a number three yeah. overall pick. And look, he still possesses some power. He throws 93 to 95, and he has a good curveball that isn't quite as good as we thought it would be, and a changeup that is better than we thought it would be. So hmm. it, it all kind of offsets a little bit. Another guy that generates such a unique downhill plane that he he really is able to make the fastball and change up look identical out of his hand. And that's where the best pitch in baseball is, right? A good changeup is the best pitch in baseball. You erase hitters counts. You get guys out from both sides of the plate. And he's comfortable throwing them to both lefties and righties. The fastball that he throws with that tough arm angle straight over the top that he hides really well, and then the change-up there too, it's better versus lefties, of course, but he throws it quite a bit against righties as well. He can locate the fastball on both sides of the plate when he's going well. And the fastball plays up thanks to – a unique riding action to it that he gets a lot of swings and misses and that's where his value really is it's all of his stuff plays up because of the way he's able to to disguise it right his arm he hides the ball really well so the extension that he gets as well too i talked about some other guys that do that well he does it really well so while his stuff is above average it plays up to plus because of what he's able to do with his body and with his mechanics. The command has been much better up until that last start against the Marlins yesterday, where he Mm -hmm. went three innings. He only gave up two hits, but he walked four. He had thrown one away on a bunt with two outs. And then it just seemed like everything went South after that. But his first two starts against the Red Sox and the Yankees, I think that's more of what we're going to see from him. A lot of ground balls, And he'll mix in six to eight strikeouts a game, I think, with some solid starts when that changeup's on. He will be hard to hit. A three-pitch mix for him is good enough. And look, he's not going to be the ace that we once hoped he would be. But to me, a good bet to be a number three type of starter that will mix in some starts where you could see that he flashes maybe ace potential. I I think the sheer stuff's going to have to get a little bit better, though he does maximize it
1: with what he's able to do on the mound. Nice. Uh, all right, Cubs second baseman Nico Horner, first round pick in 2018, uh, has not done a whole lot at the plate this season. Uh, no home runs in 95 plate appearances. Has a 578 OPS. Uh, is he still a a long term, uh, I guess, player for the Cubs at, at second base?
0: I think he's he's a long term player for the Cubs.
1: Mm-hmm. I don't know
0: about his fantasy value, really, because. Yeah. He's one of the guys that I never really understood why people were so high on him. And I'm not even trying to slight him in any way. I think he's a good baseball player. But we're talking about a top prospect in baseball. He was always pretty high just because of – I think he was one of the rare safer guys when it comes to just being able to consistently hit. But he's relatively bland, right? If we're looking at a fantasy perspective, sure, he doesn't strike out a lot. But he doesn't really walk a lot either. He doesn't put up power numbers. He doesn't drive in a ton of runs, and he doesn't really steal bases. So where are you going to get your fantasy value? His major league value is that he plays good defense. He can play all over the field. He's more of a super utility guy, really, I think. Look, He's got the makings to be a legitimate second baseman, maybe, if he figures it all out. But he's going to be very, very average, I believe. Slightly above average, where a guy that could hit 280, 290, and give you a 750 OPS every year, Sure, you know, that's a major league regular, but but honestly, I think there's a lot of other league. areas. Exactly. Yeah. There is a lot of other areas I think you can look. Nico Horner, he's 23 years old already. I think that he's better than he's doing right now, don't get me wrong. Sure. But even at his best, you're looking at a 750 OPS probably with without many stolen bases. I, I don't really see Nico Horner being a guy that, you know, I'm dying to get onto my dynasty team. Yep.
1: Yeah. Uh now maybe a, a different uh type of player here, Colorado outfielder Sam Hilliard, who does have power. He can run a little bit, uh, but he's striking out more this season. And I thought this season was really his opportunity to uh take take hold of a job and, and run with it uh for the for the Rockies. Um that does Sam Hilliard still have uh a, a real future as a as a major league, say corner outfielder?
0: I mean the guy hit 35 home runs in 2019 and we yeah. were we were just it was so excited to see what he could do in in a full season and look he, we haven't really gotten to see that yet I <laughs> concede that but you know the six home runs are solid you mentioned he he looks pretty good in that regard and, you know the power is never going to be a question but 33 strikeouts and 91 plate appearances and you know, when you look at the numbers from all of 2019 164 strikeouts and 550 plate appearances? It's just, it's just too much. It's too much. Yeah. And look, I, he's going to have to really, really hit to justify those strikeout rates. He doesn't yeah. quite walk as much as you'd like to see either. The on base percentage for him right now at 297. Like the, the power is there. I'm stashing him right now just because he plays in Colorado. And mm-hmm. you know, Colorado Obviously. is it's so beautiful. starved for consistent offense right now out of that outfield outside of Charlie Blackman. And they're not mm-hmm. going to be able to address that all in one off season. And David Dahl's been hurt. Tapia's a speedster, not your typical guy that you'd expect out there. Yeah. Overall, he's going to get another chance. And I'm not going to yeah. say I'm, I'm giving up on this guy because, look, in 28 games he's got six home runs. He's going to be able to hit you 25, 30 home runs. But he's also going to probably always be a guy that sits in the low 220s, 230s range. I, I see a Mark Reynolds type of profile for him, but at the major league level would or at an outfield spot, excuse me. So th- yeah. that would be the difference is can you can you stomach the Mark Reynolds type of profile where you're gonna have some 0 for four with four K's, but you're also gonna have <laughs> yeah. some games or some runs where he he has eight home runs and, and fifteen games or some crazy thing? Like that's yeah. I think that's what he's gonna be. And he's a major league regular for that reason. It's just can he hit at least well enough to be a Mark Reynolds type?
1: Yeah. Well, and, and if he's a Mark Reynolds type that, you know, puts fantasy owners, uh, to a decision, you know, whether you want to, uh, you need that power enough to live with the batting average and, uh, and whether that's the best option for you at the position, but yeah, that's uh that's a pretty fair comparable, I think for, for Hilliard, uh, moving to the LA Dodgers, uh, Gavin Lux, second baseman started the season in, the, uh, you know, not on the roster, uh, and, in the eight games since coming up, he's hitting a, a glorious one forty eight. Um do, do we think Gavin Lux is, is a, you know, a second baseman of the future for the LA Dodgers?
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And look, with Gavin Lux, it's just, I kind of feel for him because you know, you get up last year, he got a chance. He, he looked all right in those 23 games. And then he gets sent back down and then, you know, you're just waiting to play again and watching the Dodgers do everything that they're doing. And, you were already got a taste of it, and now you're back on this alternate training site. Now he gets brought back up to this team that's well on its way to the playoffs, already one of the best teams in baseball, probably one of the World Series, if not the World Series favorite. And you're expected to contribute and help this team right away <laughs> after they yeah. were just stashing you at the alternate training site for service time manipulation reasons. Like That's that's tough. You know, you're know, you going to show up there and it's like, all right, welcome back, kid. You're, you got to help us win a World Series now. Uh, mm-hmm. And I think that he, he looks like he's pressing a little bit. He does, and it's been yeah. eight games, right? I think as he gets his feet wet and continues to realize, like, look, I don't need to do that much for this team. <laughs> like that, they're, they're good already, and yeah. whatever I do is it's just icing on the cake. That should that should help him. And, and the fact that he's probably going to be hitting in the bottom of the order of a team that already has a really good lineup, top to bottom, he's going to see a lot of pitches to hit. He's going to be fine. And what he was able to do, talk about how how the numbers are inflated in the PCL and in AAA. He's a perfect example of that. Like he hit 392 with an 1197 (laughs) OPS. Like that's not sustainable, obviously. No, no. (laughs) Obviously he he, he benefited from the PCL. But in Double A, he hit 313 with a 900 OPS with 13 home runs as well. So like this is a guy that that can hit the baseball. And he always has been able to hit the baseball. The PCL stats, I think you take it with a grain of salt, but – Even no matter what, you got to look at that and be like, okay, those are absurd numbers. Like he he really hit the ball and it was a continuation of what he did in double A. So that's still really an encouraging thing to see from him is that he has the track record and he'll be fine. I just think, you know, he's pressing a little bit and and he'll get there, but I I do like Gavin Lux. So do I know, do I think he's a consensus top five prospect in baseball? Probably not. That's probably a little bit because of the numbers that he put up in the Mm -hmm. PCL. Still, this is a guy that that could be very, very valuable for you down the road. And ultimately, if the Dodgers decide to move on from Corey Seager, which seems like a very, very possible thing, Mm -hmm. that that's going to be the guy that's probably next in line to fill in.
1: Yeah, Uh, a couple Dodgers uh, pitchers: Tony Gonsolin, who's been ridiculously effective uh, in a small sample, and Dustin May, uh, who may May's been effective, but I'm. I guess somewhat intrigued by the fact his strikeout rate is as low as it is so far this season. Uh, what do you think of the, of the long-term prospects of Gonsolin in May?
0: It's amazing, unique because he actually is one of the most impressive in baseball when it comes to throwing a sinker, what's regarded as a sinker mm-hmm. at the highest velocity. He's throwing a hundred mile per hour sinkers up there really. And like that, that's <laughs> yeah. insane, but the strikeout rate is lower. So I think for him though, it's more that he's comfortable pitching the contact now where he Mm -hmm. he's not counting on the swings and misses as much. And that's okay. That's okay because he's been fine in doing so, you know, with the eight starts and ERA under three 40 and two thirds innings, just being able to only punch out 28 is a little bit concerning, but he hasn't needed to. So we're talking about a fantasy aspect. Like, yeah, you want to see more strikeouts. I think they'll come, but right now he's found success in that hard sinker and being able to get guys to ground out and being able to just get out easily. And it's helped him get, go deeper into starts, which was a problem for him in the past. I think right now it's what's working for him, but the sheer stuff that he has, I think the strikeout numbers will come back and and they will start to jump sooner rather than later once he continues to, to feel it out. But the fact that he's able to turn in quality start after quality start pitching the contact, you know, his last three starts, five innings, only giving up two hits, six innings. Only giving up five hits, and then six innings giving up three hits. Like the, that's what he's been able to do and do well. So yeah, that's if it ain't broke, don't fix it. But I think in the off season, he'll start addressing it, and the strikeouts will be added back. So that's why Dustin May is interesting because he he's able to get you value now as a guy that's going to continue to just churn out some quality starts, and then mm-hmm. as he gets older and continues to. You know, make more starts in the major leagues, and comes back next season. The strikeout numbers should start jumping too. So that that should be a guy that's always going to give you value now and continue to be more valuable down the stretch. And as time progresses, very high on Dustin May. As for Gonsolin, look, he, he's unique because <laughs> he he hadn't made a major league start until he was 25 years old, and and he yes. was good last year. You know, he was actually good last year as a swingman between those 40 innings. He picked up a save, and he also made six starts so he he did a little bit of everything and the numbers were good last year so it's not like we're looking at five starts this year and it's like okay this guy came out of nowhere he still feels like he came out of nowhere though because he was buried on a good pitching staff with a good bullpen and a good team where the last person you're thinking about when you look at the dodgers is tony gonsolin but he he really has been solid i mean we're talking about an era of 0.76 in five starts now and this was a guy that was Really good in the latter half of last year. Consistently good minor league numbers. This is a reason why the, the Dodgers were willing to to move on from, you know, some of the guys that they had and made some some moves at the deadline. This is a guy that they are high on, and despite the fact that he got a late start to his major league career, he's legit. He's legit, and I think that he's going to be a part of the rotation for the future. This is This is somebody that
1: they're planning on being a legitimate piece for them for a while. That'll do it for today. I'll be back tomorrow with more fantasy baseball news, as well as the conclusion of my interview with Aram Layton of Locked On Baseball Prospects. Send me your questions. I'm at by Scott Cullen on Twitter. Show is at LO underscore fantasy MLB on Twitter. If you want to send an email, direct it to LockedOnFantasyBaseball at gmail.com. Find us, subscribe, and rate us on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. That wraps up this edition of Locked On Fantasy Baseball. Now tell your smart device to play the most recent episode of of locked On Baseball. Stay safe and stay locked in with Locked On Fantasy Baseball, your daily source for fantasy news and analysis.